Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 499 for November 27th, 2019. On today's show, Jane Bennett. This show is supported by its members, without whom the jazz session would quite literally not be possible. I'm trying very hard to make this and my other podcast a brief chat into my living. You can be a part of that by joining today at thejazzsession.com slash join. There are now two levels, 5 and $10 per month. Both have cool bonus material, and you can get all of that by visiting thejazzsession.com slash join and becoming a member right now. I adore Jane Bennett. I mean, that's just the truth of it. Uh, we used to encounter each other with what felt to me like some frequency way back in the day when I was at Jazz 90.1 in Rochester, New York. Just felt like she was around from time to time. And then she's been on this show, but it's been since 2011, I guess, was the last time she was here. And then uh, just recently, a person with whom I, I do some work in the jazz world said, hey, do you know Jane Bennett? And I said, oh, my God, yeah, I do. And I don't know why it's been all these years since she's been on the show. And I love her. Let's have her on the show. And so we made it happen. I'm super excited because she's got a really awesome new record out with her band, Makeke. It's called Firm Ground. And this is how it opens. Jane Bennett, after eight years, uh, welcome back to the Jazz Session. It's great to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you. It's great to talk to you, too. We are uh, talking about uh, the new album, which is called On Firm Ground, which, A, is really, really fabulous, and uh, B, is also the inspiration for a tour that is uh, ongoing, and as folks are listening to this, there are shows coming up uh, all throughout December, uh, in starting in Windsor, Ontario, because the, the couple shows before in Ontario before that already have passed, but starting in Windsor and going to uh, Chicago, Detroit, Pittsburgh, uh, Wellsboro, PA, Buffalo, and uh, I encourage folks, and then on, of course, New Year's Eve, you can uh, be at Freight and Salvage in Berkeley and celebrate New Year's Eve uh, with Jane and the band as well. It's super exciting to talk to you. It's great to hear this record. And I want to ask you first just to tell me something about the band, which is fabulous and which has been extremely critically acclaimed uh, ever since you put it together. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Um, yeah, well, I, you know, I'm very... I'm very proud of what's happening, you know, with the the progress of the group. This project, Mekeke, which for listeners translates in the Yoruban dialect, which is called Lukumi, translates to the fiery energy and spirit of a little girl and chose that name out of five different names. And when I found out the meaning, the the word Mekeke sort of jumped out at me. And then when I inquired about what it meant, I thought, this is this is perfect because this is what I'm trying to do is just, you know, tap into that creative, positive energy that, you know, everybody has as a, 
as a child, as a, a young person, and you hopefully, you know, you don't kill that spirit in people. And sometimes it, it does happen, unfortunately. You know, most young people are, are generally creative, and then along the line, something happens. So but anyway, I digress here. But this project was, you know, I've had a band with, with my husband, Larry Kramer, trumpet player, producer for a good 30-something years, Spirits of Havana. And I realized that so many players had come through Spirits of Havana and really gone on to their own amazing careers. Uh, people like Daphne Prieto, drummer Daphne Prieto, Yosevani Terry, Ilario Duran, Pedrito Martinez is probably one of the most well-known. As a young 17 years old, was in Spirits of Havana, 18. There's a long list that goes on and on. Francisco Mella. And I had always found myself being the only woman in many ensembles, not only just more straight-ahead jazz groups, but when we formed Spirits of Havana, I was the only woman. Both Larry and I had been doing work over the last you know, 15 years across Cuba and different conservatories and meeting often, you know, way more than half of the students were young women. Cuba's got 25 conservatories, so it's got a very organized music program starting when kids are eight years old and they graduate at 15, 16, and they're pretty much full-fledged professional musicians when they, when they leave, you know, the, the upper conservatories. I was seeing so many women sometimes when I would be out at, you know, at a jam session or out at the jazz festival in Havana, sitting on the sidelines, not even considering taking their instruments to whatever activity was happening. And if I did see somebody with an instrument, it was just impossible to get them up and playing alongside with me. So five years ago, I decided, you know, maybe it's the time now to just try and do a one-off project. And how about I go down to Cuba? I met a young vocalist, Daimira Sena, whose her star has really risen in the last few years. At the same time, when I when I met her, she was kind of being courted by Giles Peterson from the Brownswood label in, in England. We put together this ensemble. I went down and I sort of quietly, in the background, looked for young women that could be potentially in a recording project. And I came up with these five musicians, and we made our first recording, Makeke. with all the things that were going on at the time, you know, trying to rehearse. The plan was to rehearse like, you know, three, four days and then go into the recording studio and make this record. 
And the, re- the the rehearsals were just a disaster. So when I when I did, you know, settle on the musicians that I wanted, it was less than ideal situations. We had a rehearsal place, which was a kind of a a bar, kind of a I don't know how to call it, drag queen bar. I guess is the best way to describe it. <laughs> and, uh, the the singer Diane Arasena was her dad managed the place, and it was in like really kind of a, a rough part of of uh, Central Havana. And I would go in there to rehearse, and it was like uh, we get five minutes in rehearsal, and electricity, and all the lights would go off in this dingy basement <laughs> place that we were in, and we would just sit there, you know, for like a couple hours, not being able to do anything, just sort of talking about music, and then maybe the electricity would come back on. Anyhow, make a long story, we got terrible rehearsals, and ended up wasting a lot of money in the studio. Studios. I booked the studio, so I went into one place, and we were eating up the money rehearsing and then putting down a tune and then the piano broke and I had to move to another studio and then something else went wrong in that studio. So I went to another. So it was really trials and tribulations trying to make that very first recording. But lo and behold, you know, when I came back to Canada with the tapes and started mixing and doing all this stuff, I really thought it was a bit of a dog's breakfast, but we got it together and ended up putting it, in Juno's nominations, and it did get nominated, and it won uh, Juno. So that was in 2014-15. And I thought, well, geez, that's pretty incredible that people have responded to this project. It's quite unique, quite different. It was, you know, quite a departure from the other kind of music I had been making. And I then brought the musicians to Canada and organized a tour across Canada during the jazz festival season in the summer. And that went well. Then the next, I guess, following year, decided, well, let's let's see if we can get into the U.S. and petition the State Department. Obama was luckily in at the time. And um, our, yeah, we got our approval notice was approved for the petition and we started the process for that and that was you know it's very difficult to bring the group into the U.S. because they're all on Cuban passports but anyway that worked out and we applied for the visas and that's a whole other department that's a very tricky thing if you want to talk about that a little later but anyway we're only allowed like one entrance into the U.S. and even though the approval notice is approved for a year because we line up all our dates we are only allowed to cross into the border once. And if we have to fulfill all the dates, um, if there's days off, that's too bad. We have to stay in the U.S. to the next dates. Because once we come back into Canada, we've used up our entry and we have to go back to the embassy uh, wow. and apply again. So there's no U.S. embassy anymore in Havana. I used to be able to send people back there. And that was expensive too, but at least they could apply in the U.S. in, uh, in Havana. But that's, you know, that's, embassy's been closed down so anyhow anyway we had it went you know very well our our u.s tour and we came back and we made our second record called odara and that record ended up receiving a grammy nomination which was very exciting for us we worked really hard you know doing that tour in the u.s and did a lot of the west coast did a lot of the east coast and we did midwest states over the year, and, and I think it was our presence in the U.S. that sort of got the attention for that record, and that was wonderful. And then now we've just done on firm ground. The ensembles changed a tiny bit, but there's still three of the original members in the group, 
Dinah Arasan is a, a guest on it, but she's got her own career happening, but she's all over this new record. Yeah, so we're very excited about about the new record because, you know, the group has really grown. You know, when I when I first put it, the group together, people were all at various levels. Improvising was kind of a new thing for, for the musicians. Or our pianist, Dine Milano's great uh, classical piano player, but her jazz chops were pretty much not really there. And she's just grown into a wonderful composer and singer and arranger. Lucy Garcia is an amazing drummer. She's got her own group called Bandancha, but she's been borrowed by a few people like Dave Matthews to go out on the road a little bit um, with him. But she's a firm, you know, member of uh, Makeke, contributor uh, on the new record. We have a great new percussionist, vocalist, Mary Paz, who's just a force of energy. She's a tremendous musician. A new bass player called Taylor Marrero, who began as a classical guitarist, graduated from the university in Cuba. These girls are all in their mid-20s now. She's now playing electric bass and acoustic bass and writing for the group. And Joanna Mjoko, who is, she's the only odd one besides me. She's from Zimbabwe. She's got just unbelievable jazz chops. And me. And so that's the, that's what makes up Makeke. We've just done this uh, new recording, and it's getting incredibly well-received and getting great reviews. So we're very excited. Now we're coming, just came back um, two days ago from Argentina, we were there performing the festival, and just uh, before that, Dominican Republic, a tremendous festival down there, and been doing a bunch of U.S. dates, and now coming back into the U.S. Let's take a short break from the music to talk about what we value. I think it's safe to say that if you're hearing the sound of my voice right now, you value improvised music, and, even more importantly, the people who make that music, and so do I. That's why, for the last 12 years, I have been working on documenting the stories of those people, so that when the years move on, we're not left with just the music, which is fabulous in and of itself, but we're also left with the thoughts and the feelings and the stories behind all of this music that we love. If you value these stories and this archive of knowledge that the Jazz Session has become, I really need your help to keep it going. And that's pretty easy to do. You can join for $5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. At both those levels, you get bonus episodes. You just get more if you join for 10 bucks a month. At both those levels, you get early access to every single show. You get a free gift once a year and more. So if you value what I do and what these fine folks do, let me know with your membership. Thanks. Now back to the episode. What's it like for you? I know it's been a while now, but what's it like for you to not 
be the only woman or to play with women. Do you notice a, a different energy, a different style of collaboration? Yeah, I, there is. I, I really can't put my finger on it. I mean, one of the things that I've been told by many people in the audience, they will come up to us, especially to me, because of being speaking English speaking, but um, will come up to me and just say, just the joy that, that joy and energy that comes off the bandstand um, from the group. We were at Newport Jazz Fest, and so many came, many people came up to me and just said they hadn't witnessed such interaction within musicians and just the joyfulness. And I think one other thing is that there's a bunch of things that come into play there. One of them is, you know, a lot of sacrifices are made by the band members to get ourselves from A to B. So to get them from Cuba to Canada, Canada, U.S., to get them on some of these big, you know, world stages where, you know, you're playing to, you know, sometimes a couple of thousand people, sometimes more. And they make sacrifices by staying at our place in, in Toronto, leaving their families, waiting for the visas. You know, the routine is that they come, the process them at the Canadian Embassy, they come to Toronto. We wait for the approval. We then go to the U.S. Embassy in Toronto, and we wait 10 days, sometimes two weeks, to get the visas. And in that time, we rehearse, and we work on new material, rehearse the shows in the house, make our meals together, <laughs> drink beer, drink wine, spend a lot of time together bonding as a group. And so there's a great camaraderie amongst the band members and, and team support of, you know, really support, yeah, supporting each other's on stage and off stage. And I think that has, even though it's really tough, it translates on stage as being a very tight nucleus and there's not many groups that have to go through what we have to go through to get ourselves in a performance situation. And I think that's what hits me when I get on the stage and they get on the stage. It's like, yeah, this has not been easy, but here we are. Um, we're going to show you what we can do. So I think that's the thing. I've never really felt that as strongly with any of the other groups that I've had because the, the personal... Uh, kind of struggle to get to where we are is totally equally shared, you know, amongst us.
you mentioned when you were first, you know, kind of seeing uh, women in conservatories and at, at jam sessions, but not playing, that it was very difficult to get women musicians to participate. Is do you ascribe that to you know a kind of a, a masculine-centered culture or lack kind of lack of opportunities for for women to be fully realized as musicians in Cuba? Yeah, well, not, not just in Cuba, I guess, but <laughs> I don't want to limit yeah. it to there. No, I mean, you know, you know, this is this is everywhere, really, and uh, I mean, it's getting better, but you know, it's still, it's it's progress, but it's still slow. But the, one of the things in Cuba, the difficulty is that you know the government runs pretty much everything. And you need permission. It's very hard to uh, be an entrepreneur, be a professional entrepreneur on your own. You've got to go through levels of government to get out there and do your thing, to play at a theater or play at, um, uh, you know, the few clubs that exist in Cuba. You have to ask permission, and there's levels of permission. There's You have to go through the Institute of Music. It sometimes goes up to the level of the you know, Minister of Culture. Everything has to be okayed. So you're in an environment which is still very dominated by men, and the guys, you know, most of the guys, they're not going to be helping out their girlfriends or wives or whatever to take that performance opportunity because they want to be up there playing. Often, you know, they want their girlfriends watching them play. They want an, you know, an audience, and sometimes the girls are just sitting in the audience. So there isn't really the incentive for the women to get out there. I mean, it takes a very strong personality creative drive to go up against that wall because the opportunities are few and far between, especially for jazz, you know, it's, you know, there's the salsa bands. And so you sometimes you'll see, you know, you'll see maybe an all woman salsa band, but they're playing in hotel lobbies or they're playing out at a, a tour, you know, out at a, an all inclusive resort. And that's sort of the, if, if you see women out playing, it's more so been organized by somebody else, and it's not they're it's not really driven from their own sense of you know creativeness it's It's really tough i you know in North America, I've got the opportunity even if there was like i can I can go around the corner to one of the bars on the main street I'm in sort of in a hipster area in Toronto. I could go to any one of those places and say, hey, you know, Saturday night, can I play for tips or can I play for a few hundred bucks, you know, bring in, bring in a trio, can I play? And I could do it. But you can't do that in Cuba. So it's, it's really tough. The next thing, too, is, you know, the only way that we as performers get better is by performance opportunities. You know, you can practice all you want in your living room, but... You know, you need an audience, you need that feedback and, of course, even income, you know, some money coming in. So, I mean, I, I always compare it to somebody like a Serena Williams, you know, the Williams sisters. Like, part of the reason they got so good as tennis players, not only just working hard, but they got to go up against other great tennis players. That is inspiration and that, you know, that gives you competitive drive and you improve with every opportunity you get to to play and if you don't get opportunity how do you how do you improve so that's what that's what i feel now that we are getting opportunities and we're getting some pretty wonderful you know calls for some festivals and 
getting to be out in front of audiences and critics that are able to, you know, take us to that next level. What's it been like for the Cuban members of the band when they, you know, kind of had these great experiences over the last several years and then are back in Cuba? Is it translating to more experiences back home? I would say no. Mm-mm. They go back and there's very little happening, especially now. Like there was, believe it or not, you know, with so many Americans were going to Cuba just a few years ago and a lot of kind of private performances were being set up if it was at people's homes. It was very interesting because a lot of a lot of the top musicians were getting chances to do like almost play private parties for Americans that were down there that were really excited about being in Cuba and, you know, um, tapping into the to, to the great music and culture that Cuba has. That is just non existent right now. So there was a lot. There was some, you know, stuff happening for people, for for a lot of the musicians that they could sort of get around that rule about having to, you know, get permission from the government. A lot of private stuff going on that is not happening. You know, they have their jazz festival every year in Havana, but still the, the performance opportunities are really really slim. No, I don't think it does it does translate. I mean, if you're in, if you're in a group like Social Club Buena Vista Inc. You might, <laughs> because there's a few of them now, you might be able to get get out of the country and go to Europe and do, you know, do some stuff in, in Europe. And some of the, you know, more traditional groups being able to leave. But this, there's not, I mean, if you have a, a concert in Cuba, it doesn't, it doesn't really pay anything. So, yeah, it's not, it's not great. I want to turn our attention a little more specifically to On Firm Ground. Will you tell me something about the music and how it was put together for this record? I'm pretty excited about what's happening now because everybody's writing for the group. The first recording, the Keke, I did most of the writing along with Dani Arisena. The second recording, Odara, there was a bit more input from band members, I think. I still did a lot of the, the writing, but there was um, a few, you know, three or four tunes from the band members on on firm ground. Everybody has a tune on the recording. So each member contributed and <laughs> we had to pick and choose because everybody had like three, four pieces. And um, so we narrowed it down, you know, to make a nice uh, blend, a flow to the recording. You decided not and to go with the triple album. 
root to everybody's <laughs> yes. Oh no, yet. not in this day and age. Oh my god. Yeah. I'm crazy, but I'm not that crazy. <laughs> so I've got like I think three or four and then I have um two or three and then all the other members have tunes on the recording. So it's really, you know, all of our personalities are so very, very different. And we draw from, you know, different um, things in our creative juices. But we workshop the, the, the music. You know, everybody brought tunes. And like I mentioned, in that time frame that we sit around the house waiting to be our visas to be processed, we workshop the music and everybody, it's really a collaborative affair even though we bring the music to our uh, practice sessions, everybody contributes. Um, one of the things about the group is um, four out of the six instrumentalists have great vocal chops. So we have a, pretty much on every tune what we call chorals, the voices that kind of are almost like a string section, the way we use them. A lot of call and response with the voices, but a lot of sort of vocal bed tracks, I guess we call it. That's always been a very strong part of some Cuban music is that call and response. So that's a large part of what we have going for us in the Keke. Well, the record has a original jazz sound. We're still very much rooted in, in Cuban rhythms, but everybody's really improvising a lot in between all the, all the other stuff that's happening and I'm very proud of the record. I think it's I think it's a great one, so And it really sounds like a like a band record too. I mean, you can you can really tell the the affinity between the musicians and the fact that everyone is really locked in because the, I mean, it's not just a bunch of you know loose jams over uh, the rhythms that we're all used to. I mean, it, there's a lot of complexity going on in the music. There's a lot of intricacy in the parts. It has this kind of like one foot in the modern era, and you know then you'll hear like. 15 seconds of Kimbara called back to you know uh, on a track or something yeah. like that which I, I really dig it feels like it it straddles a bunch of worlds kind of all at once and thanks and no, thank you thing. that's what we tried to do yeah that's what we tried to do with this and then we added a layer of putting Nikki um, D. Brown who plays the sacred steel guitar and so that was sort of an added extra we did a show in Toronto so in a big theater there called Turner Hall and she joined us on a few numbers, and it just worked out so well. And she's, you know, she comes out of the church. The um, Sacred Steel is a very strong, unique sort of part of um, the Ohio music. 
and she's very much embedded in uh, that, and she's a powerful, she's been called like the Jimi Hendrix of the Sacred Steel, and she she's just quite amazing, um, you know, musician on the guitar, and voice, too. She's got a great chops, <laughs> I guess is the word. So that sort of added an, another, you know, thing into the mix, which was the girls have a great connection with her and vice versa. One track I wanted to ask you about, not because of the music, but just because of the title, because I can't resist, is The Mystery of Jane's House. What, what is The Mystery of Jane's House? Because now I, now <laughs> I desperately want to Jane's know. The Mystery of Jane's House is that they all believe, uh, but and I don't know if it's spearheaded by Daimi Arosena, but that there's a ghost in the house. Oh, wow. And Yeah, Daimi says she's seen the ghost going up the stairs and... Uh, um, they're all like really super tapped into that, that they hear sounds at night and yeah, they, and I don't, I don't sort of feed into it, but when we bought our house in 1980, our house was a rooming house and it's very questionable things that were happening. Oh, come on. It's um, definitely haunted. Uh, what are you talking about? You <laughs> I wasn't sure if I believed it until you told me that, unless you said yeah. it was that or it was no, built on across- an old burial ground. No, well, across the street on the corner, there was this house that way back in like 17 something or other, there were these something gang. I got to I got to get my history a bit more together. But they were like outlaws and, the you know, the sheriffs were looking for them and they had killed a whole bunch of people. And they they were on the corner. I live in sort of like very like a lot of old Victorian houses. Anyhow, when we did move into our house, we had an old furnace in the basement. Uh, we don't. We still don't know if it was the furnace or what. But um, three of us who bought our house, and we were just in our, we were just like twenty-one years old when we all pooled our money together and bought this rooming house, which had ten people living in it. We would hear howling and really kooky, kooky sounds. So I haven't told them about that, but. <laughs> Anyhow, because they just got, you know, I don't want to feed into what they're, <laughs> what they're going on about. But, yep, so that's what that's about. If people are listening to this as it comes out, today is on or around November 27th. And so I want to remind folks again that you have a bunch of chances to see this band. Uh, And especially if you live stateside, you should definitely take the opportunity because, as we've just heard, it's not all that easy to uh, make these tours happen. So uh, if today is the 27th, then coming up on uh, December 4th, the band will be in Windsor, Ontario, December 5th through 8th in Chicago, December 10th in Detroit, the 13th 
14th in Pittsburgh, the 14th in uh, Wellsboro, PA, the 15th in Buffalo, New York on this tour. And then to end up your year, if you are on or can get to uh, the West Coast and you're near Berkeley, California, at uh, the fabulous Freight and Salvage, which is a great uh, performance space, there's an Afro-Cuban New Year's Eve dance party. And uh, the band will be there as well. Obviously, your initial thought of a one-off project has has spawned a, a multi-year uh, ensemble. Are you expecting that there's there's more to come? It sure feels like there ought to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, the next project I'd like to do is like a big a big band, a big band Mikeke, awesome. and um, so adding like you know maybe five or six more players. That's going to be a big undertaking. I'm going to get Ilario Duran, who's great ranger, composer, pianist. Um, I've worked with him for years in Spirits of Havana. I've done a number of projects with uh, Ilario. And actually, and he I'm was with you the him. last time you were on this show. You guys were on together. That's right. Yeah. I remember that. That's true. So I'm going to have him do um, the arrangements, and there'll be a lot of new material. And um very excited about that. Until then, we're just going to keep... Um, you know, keep at it, and none of us really know what the future is going to hold. But we just try to think positive and keep at it, and see what happens. Viva la musica, as they say. If you do a big band, please tell me that you'll flesh it out with Canadian musicians, because there's only so many visas you can apply for in any. In <laughs> you know any what? One year. My God, you got it. That's, <laughs> you're reading my mind there, Jason. <laughs> no one who uh-huh. lives more than five blocks from your house is allowed to be in this big band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you gotta have a Canadian passport <laughs> or U.S. too. Right, yeah. Oh my gosh. Even better. <laughs> Well, the new album is called On Firm Ground by uh, Jane Bennett and Makeke. And uh, again, I encourage you to uh, check out their December tour throughout the the northern and midwestern part of the U.S. And then check them out on New Year's Eve out in Berkeley, California. Uh, Jane, it's been really wonderful to, to talk to you again. It's, it's great to hear all this music you've been making uh, since the last time we spoke. And I hope you'll come back again. Thank you so much. And you know what? You are such a fantastic interviewer. I love, I really love talking with you because you have such great questions and you have, you know, really um, have an understanding about, you know, just the, the whole thing and just uh, appreciate it so much, Jason. Well, I'll PayPal you that money now. So uh, thanks again. <laughs> for, for you don't that. have to PayPal me nothing. <laughs> <laughs> just, just keep uh, keep going because uh, we need we need more people like Jason Crane. If you value what you just heard, become a member for five or ten bucks a month at thejazzsession.com/join. Thanks to my guest this week, Jane Bennett. Thanks also to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and to Dave Rabel for the logo. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at the Jazz Session. One cool reason to follow is that I post a clip from the archives on both those accounts each weekday at 1 p.m. Eastern, except when I don't. Take a second right now to rate and review the Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really makes a difference. And the reason is that the way that this show rises in the rankings and its various categories so that other people see it is based upon ratings and reviews. So if you do that, it makes the show float a little higher and that makes more people find it. And that means more listeners, which potentially means more supporters, etc., etc. So just go do that if you would. 
If you would like to keep up to date with my podcasts, my poetry, and everything else that I'm up to, you can subscribe to my twice-monthly newsletter. Go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link along the top. Please support live music whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for, and it's very hard for me to believe this, the 500th episode of The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.